Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Ahoy Community Church. Glad you're here. If you're able, would you stand with us as we begin our time of worship through song? song to sing this morning to remind us of who we are and whose we are. Let's continue to worship him through song this morning. Your love is greater. 
this morning wonderful to worship with song with you and now let's take a moment greet the community around you students you're going to go out that door and head on to the cove have a great time Morning, good morning, church. Hey, give it up for Dominic's mini-me up here on the percussion. I just <laughs> it's 
awesome to have members of our youth serving in worship. It's so great. So welcome, welcome. My name is Nicole Pearson. I am on the board of trustees here at the church, and it's just a pleasure to see all of you here this morning. We want to connect with you. Our mission here is to equip everyday people to walk with Jesus every day, and we can do that better in community. So I want to draw your attention to our Connect card here which is also our prayer request card. And let us know you're here today. If you're new, we'd love to connect with you, get you on our email, email list, and that way you can be apprised of everything happening in the life of this church. So last week we had 80 prayer requests come in. So it's an honor for us to be able to pray for all of those. So we're going to just take 15 seconds here, grab that pen in the seat back pocket, and just uh, fill out that Connect card if you would. Great. So a couple announcements to bring your, to your attention. You'll see in the bulletin, our Harvest Festival is coming up Friday, October 26th. So you may have seen the candy collection bins. We will be accepting candy donations if you want to be a part of it that way, or if you want to volunteer, you can sign up online. So it's a great outreach, and we would love everybody be, to be a part of it in some way, shape, or form. Also, we have our alternative gift market coming up. That's going to be happening Sunday, November 18th. I love this event because there are fair trade, handcrafted items that you can purchase, and all of it goes to help a worthy cause. So if you're involved in a ministry here or if you're involved in a, a cause outside the church and you think they would be a great vendor for that event, let Janet know that information is in the bulletin as well. And I think the application date is the 7th of October. October, so coming up very quickly, maybe tomorrow, um, but go ahead and get that in. And then also, ladies, we have some exciting things happening coming up this November, so mark your calendars. Tuesday, November 6th at 6.30 p.m., we're going to kick off our first professional women's monthly meeting, and we just want to bring together women who are working, who would like to share how they're, um, how they're living out their faith in the workplace. So that's going to be from 6.30 to 8.30, and we'll have a sign-up for that online and more coming. And then also save the date for November 10th. That's going to be our stories event. We're so excited to have that back. It's going to be a wonderful morning where we're going to bring together ladies of LJCC, and we're going to hear stories of how God is working in the lives of women right here, women that you know and interact with all the time. So you can register for that starting on Wednesday online. We have a healthy lunch provided. It's for women of all ages, and so make sure that you join us there. And so that's it for announcements. We're going to move to a time of tithes and offerings. And before we, we have the ushers come up, we just want to sincerely thank everybody for their faithful giving. Um, we just know that we could not do the work God called us to do or has called us to do without your support in that. And so thank you for just being faithful in your giving. If you give online, don't feel obligated to put anything in the basket, obviously. We thank you, and we know that those gifts come in online as well. So we would, um, I'd be honored if you just uh, pray, pray with me right now for our tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, thank you for this gorgeous day, and thank you for each and every gift you give us, Lord. We just pray that as the ushers come forward, Lord, that you will just help us to give cheerfully, Lord, out of the generosity that you've shown us, Lord. Help us to be generous, and, and knowing, Lord, that the money that we give, the time that we give, the effort we give will be honored and multiplied by you, Lord. So we just pray that you use these gifts to further your kingdom here in San Diego and around the world, Lord. We thank you so much, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Forgetting the power of the statements that we've just sung. Of losing awe and wonder of the grace that you extend to me and us moment by moment, decision by decision. And so I ask humbly for forgiveness of, uh, of person and of a people at that time to recheapen grace or um, lose wonder and awe. And I pray for a renewed sense of that as we embrace grace. And for those that haven't embrace that grace or feel far from you, that you would come near to them this morning and show that you are a God that extends unsearchable and unmeasurable depths of love and grace and hope and forgiveness, that we'd experience that today, that we'd walk out a changed people as a result. So have your way. Would you use your servant Ian this morning and your word to shape and form us to be some change? In Jesus' name. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Well, today we're going to be talking about grace. So if you expected Steve Murray, have grace because I am not him. <laughs> well, today kicks off our Embrace series. Earlier this summer, we started with Refresh, then we went into Renew, then we went into Pursue, and now we're in Embrace. And when I think of Embrace, I think of a, a little kid running up and grabbing their parents. Like, that still happens for me. I walk in the door after work, and my kids, well, at least the two younger ones, they run up and they grab my leg and they want to say hi, and the other older two are like, yeah, what's up, dude? But in grace, embracing means it's like we're holding on to something. We're accepting it. It's, like a, it's a sign of affection. It's a sign of friendship. At LGCC, our goal with this Embrace series is that we embrace the Bible into our worldview. I mean, we, we talk about equipping everyday people to walk with Jesus every day. That's what happens when you put the Bible into your worldview. It's, te- it's intentionally taking biblical theology and applying it to the way you think and the way you behave. 
We want to embrace the gospel and become advocates of it wherever we work, live, and play. That we take the grace of God, we, we embrace this Bible, and we take it with us. We embrace Christ. We want to become guides. Embrace the idea of becoming guides. That God is guiding us, Jesus is leading us, but we're also leading others. We're leading them to him. We're leading them along this journey of grace and mercy. So this month, we're going to be focusing on four main things. Today is grace. Uh, Next week will be joy. Then we'll have perseverance, and we'll end with hope. Now, this week, I was praying about grace, and God give me grace, and my life went haywire. Uh, My kitchen is completely disassembled. We're eating out of the garage. My wife and youngest son were sick. Um... The ambulances and fire department was at my house because my wife's aunt who's staying with us uh, took too much medication. So things had just been going sideways all week long. And it's like, you know, you ask God for peace, you ask him for grace, he's going to give you an opportunity to exercise it. So be careful. Be careful. Uh, In our Christian mindset, sometimes there's a tension when we think about grace. In our our culture, uh, are we really embracing the idea of grace I mean, if you think about it, it's really not in our human day, human DNA. It's really not in our everyday practices. You think about when you're a child or you're bringing up children, we teach them consequences. If you do this, then this will happen. If you take the cookies, you're going to get a timeout. If you touch the stove, you might get a tap on the hand. There's going to be consequences. We teach our kids that there's effort required if you're going to school. We, we teach ourselves, we know that there's effort required when we're at work. If you want to be a doctor when you grow up, you got to work really hard. I mean, there's a couple doctors in here. You worked really hard to get there. If you want to be a professional athlete or perform at the college level, you need to uh, sorry, perfect that discipline now. It's something you're working on. It's, it's going to take effort. You don't get nothing for working for nothing. You do, actually, you get nothing for working for nothing, but if you, you don't get something for working for nothing, it's going to take effort. We, we know that if you want to be successful in school, you want to be successful in your work, it's going to take energy. It's going to take working hard, working long, working efficient, and then, and maybe then, you'll be successful. When my kids uh, go to school, I want to teach them they need to work hard. You work hard, you're going to get good grades, you're going to be successful. I mean, I don't try to take the perfectionist mindset and say, hey, you got to get the highest scores, you got to get the best grades. Not like that at all. We kind of had this... Uh, mantra. As we're driving into the parking lot of the school, I tell my kids, it's it's like clockwork, okay, what are we going to do today? We're going to work hard, we're going to be good friends, and we're going to be respectful to our teachers. And every day that they executed those three points, they would come home, and it was a good day. They worked hard, and something good came out of it. I mean, nowadays, we also hear about this entitlement. Who's heard of entitlement? Like the entitlement mindset. It's kind, of, it's kind of a hot topic. Oh, these people are so entitled. You know, it's kind of becoming a, a catchphrase. Oh, you're just entitled. But what entitlement is, is it's like this sense that we should get something for nothing. Oh, we're going to get the good job even though we don't deserve it. Oh, you're going you're gonna to give me a medal. You're going to give me a trophy. I remember once my uh, oldest son, Ethan, he was at a BMX camp. And after the camp, they had races and all this stuff. And they kind of got a participation trophy, but they really earned it. So at the end, they're handing out these trophies, and my two youngest were there supporting their brother, and they got this idea, we're going to get a trophy too. So they walk up to the guy and say, can we have a trophy? And to my astonishment, he gives them two trophies. And then they're walking around the neighborhood, look at my trophy. This is my trophy. I'm like, okay, it's going to be a week, and I can get rid of these things. No. I try to move it off the counter and move it into the thing. Where's my trophy? I worked hard for that. No, you didn't work at all took two years, two years. It was, it was covered with dust. I pushed it back slowly on the, the mantle, and then I moved it to a box, and eventually that box found a resting place at the dump. But they, they haven't noticed it yet, so they're, I don't think they're, maybe this is recorded, so they may find out. But I'm sorry, I just had to get rid of those trophies. But they did nothing, and they got this trophy. We know that if we want something, we need to work for it. Yet, that's not what grace is about. Grace isn't about entitlement or working hard. So how do we understand grace? How do you under, understand grace? How do we understand it? How do we embrace it for ourselves? How do we give it to others? So let's start with the question, what is grace? We sing songs about it. We just sung three songs about grace. Did you guys realize that? This is all set up. If I don't hit this out of the park, it's all on me, right? 
all this grace, we amazing grace, we sing songs, we understand the sovereignty of grace, we understand grace, we have grace on our t-shirts, we might be grace in the bottom of our emails. We, we use grace all the time, but do we really understand it? Let's paint grace against a picture of some big biblical terms. Judgment and mercy. Judgment is getting what you deserve. You break the law, you sin, there's a consequence. Mercy, you break the law, you sin, you get let go. Grace, you break the law, you sin, you get a reward. Grace is getting something that we did not deserve. Now let's make this a little bit more practical. Judgment, someone wrongs you, you get angry, you wrong them back. You're gonna get your pound of flesh, right? Oh, you want to say that to me? I'm going to say that to you. I mean, it happens. All I get to say is 5, 15, 805, 52. Anywhere you have traffic, someone's going to get a little bit of judgment action going. What about mercy? Someone wrongs you, you get angry, but you let it go. That's pretty good, right? What about this? Grace. Someone wrongs you, you forgive them, and you seek reconciliation. Let's dial down on this a little bit harder. Someone slaps you, you slap them back. Maybe a little bit harder. That's judgment. Someone slaps you, you walk away. That's mercy. Someone slaps you, you turn the other cheek. That's like, that blows our mind in our culture. Who does that? And that's, that last statement is right out of Jesus' mouth. If you go up in your Bible, that's going to be in red. So I'm going to give you the, the upfront answer about grace. So if you're going to tune out, just do it after the next 30 seconds and you're good. Here's our first slide. Grace is the power of God to save and transform us so we can extend his grace to others. Let me say that again. Grace is the power of God to save and transform us so we can extend his grace to others. I think in order to have a full understanding of what it means to embrace grace, we need to start with the foundation of grace. Let's talk about what it means to embrace the grace of the gospel. So we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm going to use the NIV text. We're going to start in verse 1. This is Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. He says here in chapter 2, verse 1, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. It's often in our Christian culture we kind of deduce this one thing. We were bad, and Christ came to make us good. Sorry, this thing's going all over the place. Sorry about that. You're naughty. Stop. We were bad, and Christ came to make us good. We were wrong, and Christ came to make us right. No, that's not actually true. We were dead, and Christ came to make us alive. It's not about being good. It's not about being right or wrong. It's about the fact that we were dead, and he came to make us alive. And he goes on in verse 2 to say this. We were dead because in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who's now working, at, working in those who are disobedient. All of us also live among them on one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. That's a at the end, that's what judgment is. We deserve wrath. You were dead in your transgressions. You deserve wrath. You deserve wrath, judgment. I like how Paul outlines all. In Greek, this is the word pos. It means all, everyone, all of us. I think all is a great place to start, and it's an important place to start because it identifies that all of us were like this, dead in our sins and transgressions because we followed the ways of the world, that we were following the ways of the kingdom of air. It's another way of saying following after Satan, that we were living for the passions of our own flesh, that we were following the desires of our bodies. This creates a great picture of before Christ, we were lost. We were dead in our transgressions. It wasn't something we could negotiate. It wasn't something we could escape. It's the reality in which we live. And verse four starts with but. I'm gonna say this. But is a contrast. It contrasts two things. If you're a Christian, you have a but. Pun intended. It was a joke. And a true statement. You have a but. You have a contrast, your life before Christ and your life with Christ. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ. I had no hope, but now Christ gives me hope. I felt alone and useless, but 
Christ gives me a family and purpose. Each of us, if we call Christ our Savior, have a but story. We have a story of grace. The way we were and then Christ entered into our lives and changed us and now we have life with him. There's no way you're born a Christian. You could have, you could say, you know, I trace my lineage back to St. Jerome. We've been Christians for 1,400 years. We've been Christians for 2,000 years. That doesn't make you a Christian today. You're not born into it. It's not something you could just acquire. Christians are all, we're all born dead to our sin. And this is the best part. It creates equality. So we can't measure ourselves against anyone. There's an equality. We're all dead to sins. And then Christ enters our life. And then we're alive. It tells us that all were dead, but all are worthy, and no one is beyond it. All can accept this. Articulating this fact, Paul says in the next verse, verse 4, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. This is the gospel of grace. This is the, the grace of the gospel. It's by God's mercy and love. Nothing we did. We were dead in our flesh. We were dead in our transgressions. We were powerless to do anything. But we are made alive in Christ. It's by grace we have been saved. Grace is something we did not deserve. We did not earn. We cannot earn. When we receive God's grace, we become transformed. And there's a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17, that I think creates the best picture of it. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. When you read this in the Greek, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. New, there's no qualifier. He or she is a new creation. The old the new, uh, creation has come. It's just new creation. It leaves this mystery that, that there's something that happens that's not of this world. We're receiving something special, something mysterious, that when it enters our life, we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior. We walk with him, and we're a new creation. How did that happen? The old is gone. The new has come. That's the picture of grace in action, as we're being transformed. There's no qualifiers. There's no explanations. There's no contingency plans. There's no expectations. It's by grace that salvation is obtainable. This is like our starting point. It doesn't matter how much you give, how much you know, how long you've been a Christian, how long you've known Christians or think you're Christians. It doesn't matter how bad you are or where you came from. This is purely by grace. This is the gospel of grace. But do we believe this? Do we embrace it? When I say believe it, I think we all get it as a true, this is a biblical fact. We've read this in the Bible. We can find this in multiple places. That grace is by God, it's, it's something from God, it's a free gift, but do we embrace this? When I say embrace, I mean, do we unquestionably accept this for ourselves and for others? Sometimes I think in our humanity, we want to create these ideas of what's good enough and what's just too bad. I mean, does God really save everyone? Is he going to save the murderer on death row and the school teacher who's been slaving away in a kindergarten class for 30 years? Like, they're not even on the same scale. Yes. But do we accept that? Is that something, but wait, 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 wait. You mean the murderers, the rapists, the thieves, the prostitutes, all those people that God's grace applies to them too? This begs the question, do we embrace the fullness of God's grace? Do we really embrace that his grace is good enough for everyone? 20 years ago, a guy named Craig Gross, he started a uh, ministry. His ministry was an outreach to those men and women who were uh, struggling with pornography. He called it Triple X Church, very provocative title. He wanted to be out there and in front. This is what we're going at. We're going after people who are consuming pornography, triple X church. He started to get some success in it. And then at some point they realized, you know what? The grace of this ministry doesn't only apply to the consumer. It, provi it applies to the providers as well. 
So they did something radical. They brought a whole lot of attention on them. Scrutiny upon scrutiny from churches because they did this. They started to reach out to strip clubs and prostitutes. To the point of their success that they started a church in a cluster of strip clubs in Las Vegas called, he loves, he loves catchy titles, Strip Church. They didn't even meet on Sundays. They found the day that most people were off from those businesses, and they had it like a Monday. Because they said the gospel is so important and so the, the grace is so extensive that it applies to everyone, that we're going to go into the places that no one wants to go. Here's an interesting thing. We call, I call, most people call, pornography, sexual addictions, we call those the secret sins. And it's not secret because no one knows about it. I mean, they make more money than all the sports teams combined, practically. It's the secret sin because no one wants to talk about it. I mean, these are the people, like those we do not speak of. These are the ones that we just, we just don't even, if we enter then, then that's going to cause too much tension with us. Craig Gross in his ministry said that the gospel is so provocative and it is so essential and it, has, it applies to every single person alive that they entered into the adult entertainment industry to start bringing the gospel into that room because God's grace is enough. And all along the way, they were getting kicked by churches because they were going too far. So I ask again, do we believe that God's grace is for everyone? Do we live like it's for everyone? Do we act like certain people are just beyond grace? Do we see those we work with, those we uh, live by as uh, recipients of grace, or are they just beyond grace? Those who have hurt us, harmed us, hindered our life for many years, do we see them eligible for grace? Is there just people that are just out of reach? In verse 8 and 9, Paul kind of clarifies. He said we were saved by grace, but then he goes back again in 8 and 9 and says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 6, 23 says it this way. It's God's gift. Grace is a gift. The gospel is a gift. There's no pride in God's grace. There's no family legacy in God's grace. There's no favoritism in it. There's no earning it. And here's the best part. No one is beyond it. It's, this is the foundation of who we are as Christians. This is the starting point. Grace is our starting point for being a Christian. Grace, God, here's, I like this statement. Grace is God's effective solution to overcome the gap that separates us from him. Jesus entered into uh, human history because we were children of wrath. We were dead to our transgressions and sins. He enters. He's crucified, died and buried, resurrected. And next thing you know, we can accept him and we can be reconciled to God. That's a crazy story. I mean, who likes the story where the hero dies for the villain? I mean, people are losing their minds because of the new Marvel movie because all the heroes die. Sorry, spoiler. It's been six months, so if you haven't seen the movie, that is on you. But the heroes die, and the villain succeeds. No one likes that story, but that is the story of grace. Jesus dies for the villains, those who don't deserve it. Here's a fact. We will never feel the full wonder of God's grace until we surrender our claim to have any authority over it in our lives or anybody else's lives. We have no authority over this. We don't get to choose. We don't get to pick. Only thing we can do is accept it. We can't be Christians without grace. Grace must be infused into the landscape of our lives. It must affect everything we do. It must be in our worldview. It must be in our attitudes. It must be in our behaviors. We must take it into the workplace. We must take it into our houses. And verse 10 confirms this. He goes on to say, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do we really embrace God's grace for others? 
This proper understanding of grace must drive our thinking. It must drive our relationships. It must drive our lifestyle. We see people as undeserving and not, accept, and not able to get God's grace. Where does that leave us? Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that we need to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. We, think about that. We need to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. I want you to think of it this way. You have a basket, and someone just comes and fills it with food. And you're walking around, and there's all these hungry people. Now, the flesh would say, entitlement. This is mine. I deserve this. Or he gave it to me. I'm not going to give it to you. This is mine. The spirit would say, I didn't deserve this. Let me give it to others. Let me pay it forward. Our fleshly mindset, our, our carnal mindset, our worldly mindset is like, we need to hold on to this. We're entitled to this. He gave it to us. It must be ours. Our spirit mindset says we need to pay it forward. We need to give it out. We need to pass that grace on. How do we give God's grace to others? I want you to ponder these questions. Do I model grace to my kids? Just yesterday, I was preparing for the sermon, and I don't know what it is. There must be a light that goes off. On the street, it says, go to the O'Mara's house. Next year, there's 20 kids, and there's bicycles. I think they had a parade. I don't know what was going on. And at one point, I swear, I heard bicycles going through the house. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing a message on grace, and I'm like, I'm like what? Coming to look at them, what are you doing? This is, the close, this is the fastest way to the backyard. True. <laughs> I can't argue, argue with logic. But I had a choice in that. How am I... He knows you don't ride the bike through the house. He knows. But how am I going to act in that moment? It's not that I don't address the issue, but how am I addressing it? Am I addressing it with grace? Am I addressing it with love? Or am I just going to go right to the consequence? How do we show grace to our spouse? He or she says something to you. How are you going to respond? With judgment? Oh, you said that? I'm going to say this back. And then some. Oh, by the way, you remember when you did this, 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 and the other thing? Or are you going to respond with grace? Okay. You said that. I'm sorry you're feeling that way. We show grace to our family, our friends, our neighbors. I got a grumpy neighbor. I mean, and, I, and there's a lot of kids in my house. So, I mean, self-inflicted. We made all of them. But they kick balls, they throw things on people's houses, and there's some people that just don't like it. And, you know, we can apologize, but I just show them grace. I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry that happened. But if we're, what if we're on the other side? What if they're that neighbor? How are we acting to them, to those kids? They're just having fun. We were kids once. At least I hope you were. How are we going to act? Are we going to ask with grace and love, or are we going to come with judgment? What about our coworkers? I mean, wherever you're going to put humans... There's tension. Can I get an amen? Is there conflict? I mean, I mean, here, like, where we work here, there's no conflict whatsoever. And it's like we walk around, and, every, and no one touches each other. There's no tension. There's no conflict. Dominic's shaking his head. No, he's laughing at me over there. But everywhere you go, there's tension. But how do we respond? Tension is a given. Humanity is a given. I mean, the reality is that everybody in this room is a hypocrite at some point in our lives. But how do we interact with others? Do we interact with grace? Are we holding that basket and saying, God's grace has been given to me, but I am not giving you an ounce. Don't touch my grace. Don't you. No, don't even look at it. That's mine. But is it? It's God's grace given to us. So we can give it to others. It's a tough thought. Can I get real for a moment? Well, you have no choice. I'm going to do it anyways. Twelve years ago, Charles Roberts walked into a schoolhouse in an Amish community. Twelve years ago, almost to the day. It was three days ago. October, whatever that was. <sighs> what today is? He walked into this schoolhouse with a gun, and he let all the little boys go. And he, he closed the door and locked it and lined up 12 girls, 12 young schoolgirls. After he riddled them with bullets, he took the last bullet and killed himself. The next day, this Amish community, they started a fund. 
They didn't start a fund for the families of the 12 girls because their community was already caring and taking care of them. They started a fund for the widow of the shooter. That is unconditional grace. That is, your basket is so filled with grace that it just flows out. They could have thrown rocks through her window. They could have picketed at her house. They could have got on the news and tore her down from here to high, scrutinized all her stuff on social media. But no, they started a fund, and they said, with empathy, we want to give this to you because your life is going to get real tough. That's unconditional grace. Can you imagine that? How does that even play out in our own lives with lesser tragedies or lesser conflicts? Here's a thought. Do we embrace God's grace for ourselves? It's like we see it, we understand grace. It's something freely given. It's the gospel. It's like we see it as this finish line. Like, I got saved. Cross the finish line. Woo, yeah, God's grace got me here. There was nothing I could do. Now I crossed the finish line. Time to get to work. I'm gonna, this is all me from here on. I got it, God. Let's go. And then we start doing all kinds of work. That's not the gospel. Grace is not the finish line. Grace is the starting line. We start with grace. Let me say it this way. The gospel was good enough the day you got saved. God's grace was sufficient enough the day you got saved as it is today, as it will be in the future. God's grace is sufficient to forgive our sins past, present, and future. That is the reality of his grace. Not that we deserved it or earned it. We don't go into our Christian walk thinking, we, oh, we got to work harder. We don't put that burden on ourselves. We end up beating ourselves up. Oh, I just didn't do good enough. I didn't read long enough. I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't serve enough. I didn't give enough. I didn't do all this other stuff. And we weighed ourselves down. You know what? There's a word for that. It's called shame. Paul tells the church in, uh, in Rome in chapter 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not to be weighted down by the shame of our works and what we can't achieve. Christ did it all. He died on the cross. Jesus isn't sitting there saying, I died for you and you're not working hard enough. He's saying, I died for you and my grace is sufficient. Past, present, and future. We could beat ourselves up all day long, but guess what? There's a line of people that will do it for us. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Here's the fact. We have a but in our Christian grace story, but there is no but in grace. It's not grace, but you got to work hard enough. It's just God's grace. We're not going to be perfect. We're not always going to get it right. But we keep our eyes fixed on him, and we seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's how we get through our life. That's how we become his disciple. Now, there's a dichotomy in the church with grace. Licentiousness and legalism. Legalism says you have to be perfect. You have to, you know, have to do works. And once you're saved, that's kind of it. Grace has covered you. Now you need to get to work. You know, we look at the Bible. That's the Pharisees. They did a lot of works. They're missing the part of grace. They're missing the part of obedience. They look at others who sin as inferior and flawed, and they come down on them with condemnation. That's not what it's about. Romans 8, there is no condemnation. Now, licentiousness is on the opposite side. We get saved, we receive God's grace, and we think, woohoo! I got my license to sin card, people. It's a get out of jail free. I'm good, and so are you. Let's go. Vegas time, hop in the car. It's going to take us five and a half hours. No. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls cheap grace. Cheap grace is a, is a grace... It's, it's, a, it's a salvation without repentance. It's, a, it's grace without the gospel. It's a grace without the cross. It's a grace without recognizing who Jesus was and what he came to do. That's cheap grace. That's not where we're at. We're not in those two extremes. I had a friend, he got saved. He was, um, this, is, this is, we're all good here. I haven't checked any age groups. He thought that once he got saved, he's free, he's forgiven, he's good. And then I found out he's being very promiscuous with the other Christian ladies. And as, here's a moment where I had to interject and do a little rebuking and correcting. And I approached him. And here's the thing. Rebuking and correcting can be done with grace. It's not, the, oh, you're sinning. I'm just going to leave it alone because I want to be gracious and you let you be you. No, that's not grace. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's you enter into the conversation with grace and love and you have the tough conversation. 
said, hey, man, what are you doing? Is that really God's best for you to go around doing that? He's like, hey, man, I'm saved and forgiven. They're, they're, they're uh, adults. I'm adults. We're all good. No, that's cheap grace. That's not how it works. You're intentionally sinning because you think you got to get out of jail free card. That's not it. The middle is discipleship. The interesting thing is when Jesus starts his ministry in the Matthew's gospel, he says, come follow me in Matthew chapter 419, and I'll make you a fisherman of men. And then he ends it with, come follow me as I send you out into the world because you've seen all I've done. It's about following him. We accept and we receive our grace. We follow after him. We seek his kingdom and his righteousness. We give ourselves grace. We embrace grace for ourselves because we're not always going to get it right. We seek others because we're not going to get it all right. That's why we're a community. That's why we're the body of Christ because we work together for the betterment of each other as we grow and work through this relationship that we're having with God. We think that it's like, I get saved, grace is good, now me time to get to work. That's not it. Grace is sufficient then as it is now and it is every day. We need to live into it. We need to stop putting these burdens on ourselves. We need to stop thinking that we have to have it all together. We need to start stop thinking that we have to be perfect and put the expectation on those around us that they need to be perfect and be real, that we're all hypocrites just trying to figure out this messy thing called life and lean on Jesus Christ, look to his kingdom, look to his righteousness and follow after him with our heart, mind, and soul. I want to leave you guys with some, some takeaways. And if, you're, if you're wrestling with this, with the Christianity or the understanding of the Bible or just this relationship with God, this relationship with grace, I would encourage you, right after this service, we're going to have our Pathways class. There's going to be some lunch in there. Go. Just sit in on that session. Just sit on that session and just experience it. It's going to be an hour long. But I want to give you guys some takeaways. One, embrace the fullness of God's grace. Embrace the fullness of God's grace. There's no one beyond its reach. Everyone you have contact with, whether they're Christian or not, God's grace applies to them. When they accept it, they become his child. Are we expecting that? Are we saying that the, the worst are in the same categories as the best when it comes to his grace? Or are we trying to put our own expectations on it? Number two, embrace God's grace for others. Your basket is full. If he is your Lord and Savior, you have this grace tank. Stop worrying about people taking it from you. Stop worrying about, you know, I have to save a little bit for me. It's going to come more. You're going to have more. It's not an aspect of emptying your basket. You're going to continually be filled with his grace, and it should continually throw, flow through you into others. And finally, embrace God's grace for yourself. Don't put this burden on yourself that you have to be, have to be perfect. You have to get it right. We, have, we kind of think, well, we have to do these things. I have to give. I have to serve. I have to pray. I have to do that. No, we don't have to. We can. We have this opportunity to grow in him. We grow in him. We have this opportunity. It's not a mandate. It's an opportunity to grow in him, to grow in his, our relationship with him. Take that opportunity. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much that you have done it all for us on the cross. Lord, grace is such a tough message to understand, to, to think about, to accept, to just rationalize, to live into, Lord. Lord, walk with us through this process. Help us to see your face and to listen to your voice. That we work against our entitlements, we work against our flesh, and we just seek you and your spirit as your Holy Spirit empowers us to live this life in you. Lord, we just thank you and praise you. Amen. This brings us to a time of communion. What a better, what better message to have in, before communion than grace. As the communion servers come forward to receive the elements, I want us to think about how we get to communion. Communion is the precursor to Christ's sacrifice, where he goes to the cross for our sins. It's like the execution of the grace plan, the initiation, the inauguration of his kingdom on earth. When he's in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body given for you. It's a gift. Christ is standing there. We're his bride, and he's saying, this is my gift. Will you marry me?
Then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for a multitude of sins. His grace is sufficient today as it was yesterday and as it will be tomorrow. I'm going to invite the communion servers to come back up. Or come up at all. We didn't get started. But I want us to think about that. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, just sit and contemplate this message. Contemplate his grace. Contemplate his me- this message of what he, you are not beyond the boundaries of his grace. We're going to have four stations, two set up in the back, two set up in the front. When you come to his table, just come with a grateful heart, a heart of contrition, a heart of confession. For the one that brought all life into existence.
stand. We're going to respond in one more song this morning. In light of grace, this song is the song that we get to sing. In light of the resurrection, we are people of hope. And we are co-heirs with Christ and we live sons and daughters of the Most High. So we get to fill that anthem in this room this morning. So let's do that. Church, let's hear you. Yeah. 
that's the message of our hearts, that we know that God's grace has freed us from the slavery of fear, and we are his children. May we go with that being the mantra of our life, that we're going to be in grace wherever we go, where we work, live, and play, where we go to school, with our neighbors, whatever it is that we are filled with his grace. We embrace it for ourselves. We embrace it for others. We embrace the fullness of its reality. And we live that wherever we go. Have a blessed week. Go, go in grace and peace. Have a great Sunday.